That's big time. Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Oh, did he belt that one? Intensity is not a perfume. It was a no-doubter. Five, four, three, two, one. We are up in the bird's nest here at Oriole Park in Camden Yards. Brandon Mortensen here alongside Matt Bonaparte, breaking everything you need to know down leading up to the MLB trade deadline here at 6 o'clock Eastern. The Orioles have yet to make a move today, but they did bring in Shintaro Fujinami just a few weeks ago, kind of in a deadline move, not really in a deadline day move. A lot of big trades today. The Orioles have not been a part of them quite yet. And Matt, we've seen a lot of pitchers go off the board already. The Orioles' options here as we get closer to the 6 o'clock trade deadline dwindling down a little bit. Absolutely. Uh, We saw plenty of pitchers fly off the boards uh, today already. Eduardo Rodriguez might have had a trade to the Dodgers. Then he invoked that no trade clause, so that's dead. So maybe he's an option, but Jordan Montgomery's gone. Max Scherzer's gone as of yesterday. Of course, Justin Verlander back to the Astros and a bit of a homecoming, a little bit of reunion there. Uh, So the Orioles' options for who they might want to bolster the staff with are definitely dwindling. Yeah, and, and let's take a quick look around the league right now in terms of the trades that have already happened. Uh, most recently, in terms of the starting pitcher market, you have Michael Lorenzen, who was an Orioles rumor there. It seems like just about every starting pitcher was kind of an Orioles rumor, but you have Michael Lorenzen headed to the Phillies in exchange for Philadelphia's number five prospect in their system. And then earlier on in the day, the Mets sent Justin Verlander, who was another Orioles rumor. If you woke up this morning, you probably heard a lot on Twitter about whether the Orioles could be in on Justin Verlander. Verlander ends up going back to the Mets for two of the top Astros prospects, their number one prospect in their system in Drew Gilbert. He was ranked 68th in baseball. And Ryan Clifford, who was their fourth-ranked prospect in their system. But as reported by Jeff Passan, many people around the league viewed Clifford as a prospect who was even better than Drew Gilbert, who was the 68th-ranked prospect in Major League Baseball, according to MLB Pipeline. So even today, Matt, we have seen a few possibilities in the starting pitching realm go off the board for the O's. Absolutely. Uh, And I think a lot of people uh, this entire month have been clamoring for pitching from the MLB draft now toward the deadline. Uh, It was an interesting year in terms of the pitchers market around the deadline because there were whispers of potentially Shohei Otani being on the board uh, in that respect. He obviously gets pulled off as the Angels want to hold on to him and that magic for as long as they can. But the next biggest arm is probably Dylan Cease. And the White Sox uh, said it's going to take a lot to get him if they're willing to move him at all so uh, we'll see if the Orioles take a shot at that or if they intend on putting together a massive package for Dylan Cease because that's probably what they'll have to do if if the if Chicago is is going to trade him at all yeah we can go back into some of the other trades that have happened today in a moment but I think it is important to talk about the fact that this is very much a seller's deadline right now if you're looking at some of the returns We'll start with the two guys that I just mentioned in Michael Lorenzen and Justin Verlander. If you're looking at the return 
for Lorenzen, just look at Lorenzen's track record. He's got a 358 ERA this year, and it's really not much of a track record to speak of. He was a reliever for a lot of his career in Cincinnati. Really nice season this year with the Tigers, but not much of a track record to speak of. He is close to his career high in innings, so you're really not even sure if Lorenzen is going to be a starter or a reliever in Philly. Maybe he starts a few games and then bumps into a reliever role down the line, but he still gets you the Phillies' number five prospect in their system, which is an awfully big return for somebody who, yeah, a 350 ERA is pretty decent at this point, but getting somebody's number five prospect in their system, yes, it wasn't a top 100 guy, but that's still a pretty decent size return for Michael Lorenzen. And then in the case of Justin Verlander, I know the Mets ate a good bit of money in his remaining contract here, but you get the number one prospect in the Houston system in Drew Gilbert. And as I mentioned before, you get Ryan Clifford, who was their number four prospect, but a lot of people, again, saying that he might even be better than Gilbert. So that's a pretty lofty return for a 40-year-old Justin Verlander, who, yes, is still Justin Verlander, still has that Cy Young capability, but a lot of money on the contract. He has a vesting option that could take him into his age 43 season if you were acquiring him. And the Astros gave up two of their, if not their two best prospects to get him. So that's a pretty lofty return for those two guys. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and in the case of Verlander, I think that name value alone, especially going to Houston where he's been incredibly successful and uh, won a championship back in 2019. Uh, he, or excuse me, lost in 2019, but won in 2017. Uh, he, uh, he's an incredible player that did a lot for Houston. So I think that they were willing to pay that price for him. Uh, for Lorenzen, I don't necessarily know that I would have given up what they gave up for him, but hey, uh, if, if the Phillies think that they are you know, in a position like they were last year to go ahead and make a run at the World Series a couple wins away from it last year. Why not and go get a guy, like you said, who can be a really strong bullpen piece down the line as well? It, it has been a peculiar day uh, in terms of returns, and, and I don't know that a lot of people saw that Mets-Astros deal coming for what the, the, the Strohs gave up to the Mets, but I will say the Mets are looking like they're building a decent farm system out of this and the Scherzer trade. Yeah, and a big part of the reason that this is such a seller's market right now is because it kind of seems like everybody tends to think they're a buyer. At this point, there aren't a lot of teams around Major League Baseball that you can look at at this point and say, this team feels like they are out of the playoff picture. I think if you were to break down the market right now into sellers, retoolers, and teams who are expected to buy... In the sellers category, you really only have the Tigers, White Sox, Royals, A's, Nationals, Cardinals, and Rockies. I don't think I missed anybody there, Matt. It seems like there are really only seven teams right now that I would look at across baseball and say they are definitely going to be sellers. Not even they should be sellers because we'll talk about some teams in a minute that seem like they should be sellers and either opted to be buyers or just kind of stand pat. But there's really only seven teams that I can look at right now and say, you know what, they seem like they absolutely should be buy sellers, excuse me, and they tend to agree that they should also be sellers. 
With the third wild card this year, there are so many teams who think they could make the playoffs, right? There are so many teams who think they have a shot at going in and making that run. So it has definitely impacted the trade market in that way where I see or it feels like we've seen less sellers this year than normal. And like you said, there are some teams out there who could kind of fall into both categories where they kind of have to make the decision right now. Are we going to just blow it up like the Mets did, or are we going to go out and try and get somebody like the Angels did, getting Reynaldo Lopez and Lucas Giolito? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you're looking at those seven teams and, and trying to pick off, vulture off whatever you really can, but you're in a position now where a lot of the league wants to be a buyer, and they're looking at those same seven teams. So, it, like we said b- uh, before, the, the market is dwindling a little bit, especially in terms of arms. Yeah, the, one of those teams who is certainly a buyer is the Texas Rangers, just about 10, 15 minutes ago. And they ago. took two huge arms. Yeah, and they also just acquired Austin Hedges from yeah. the Pirates to catch those arms. After the sellers, there is kind of a group of, I would call them retoolers, teams that are probably not going to be playoff teams this year and have sold some pieces but are not completely selling. And those are the Guardians, Mariners, and Mets. Three teams that maybe if things start to align, they could make a playoff push, but they are still selling some players, just not all players. And then there are the list of teams that are either going to buy or expected to buy. And here's the list that I came up with, Matt. The Orioles, Rays, Blue Jays, Red Sox, and Yankees. And if you're keeping track at home, that is every single team in the AL East. (laughs) The Red Sox and Yankees have not bought up to this point, but going into the deadline, we're at least expected to buy. Twins, Rangers, Astros, Angels, Braves, Phillies, Marlins, Reds, Brewers, Cubs, Dodgers, Giants, Diamondbacks, Padres. And if you lost track, I don't blame you because that is just a lot of the league that seemingly thinks, hey, we should be buyers at this year's deadline. It feels like too many teams. It is too many teams. And that's what I was saying. That's what I'm saying. So many teams, regardless of their record right now, if you're hovering around 500, maybe five games over, five games under, since there are three wild cards and there's a lot of talent to go around, there are a lot of teams that have a shot. Uh, So it's going to be interesting to see uh, what these final moments hold in terms of the trade deadline, but it's going to make a huge impact on the rest of the year because a team like the Padres, like you mentioned, who haven't been playing great baseball, still possess tons of talent and in a couple of moves could turn themselves once again into a premier team. Yeah, let's talk about the Padres for a minute because they fall into the group for me of teams that probably shouldn't be buyers that seem to have convinced themselves that they are buyers. Because right now I'm looking at some major culprits of the Angels who, look, I get it. You have Shohei Otani, you have Mike Trout, who are arguably the two best players on the planet. You are five games over 500, three games back in the wild card. So you're not out of it. You're still playing above 500 baseball. But they went completely all in. And if the move was just, you know, to hold on to Otani, hold on to Trout, hold on to everybody, I suppose I get it. But the Angels have gone out and acquired Lucas Giolito, Reynaldo Lopez, CJ Crone, and Randall Gritchick. The Angels didn't have a good farm system to begin with. They had the 29th ranked farm system in baseball Bad. leading up to the deadline. And now they have the 30th ranked farm system in baseball 
after the trades for Giolito and Lopez and Crone and Grichik. So the Angels are five games over 500. They still thought they were buyers. The Cubs, seemingly with one series, seemed to just make themselves buyers. We were going into this deadline thinking, where's Cody Bellinger going to go? Where's Marcus Stroman going to go? And yet the Cubs, who are sitting at 500, see themselves three and a half games back of a wild card spot and say, you know what? Maybe we'll be buyers too. So the Cubs have turned into buyers. And then there's the Padres, who are three games under 500, five games back in the wild card, and are still buyers. I get it from the Padres' perspective. They have one of the better run differentials in baseball. They've had some bad luck. They have a ton of talent that should be able to help them make a playoff push. So I get it if you think there's going to be a big turnaround somewhere. But the Padres... At three games under 500, again, we were going into this deadline thinking, could Josh Hader, Blake Snell be available, their rentals? I mean, heck, some people were talking about maybe is Juan Soto going to be available at this deadline? None of that comes to fruition because the Padres now go out and they trade for Rich Hill and G-Man Choi and try to put themselves into a position where even three games under 500, they still have the belief that they can make the playoffs. Everybody is a buyer right now which is just making the market really hard to go get somebody. Yeah, I mean, totally true. Um, It's such a weird landscape this season where uh, not not only every team thinks they have a chance, they actually do. Uh, And like you said, the Padres are a prime example of that, but there are so many teams like the Cubs uh, who have made a turnaround just this past week and turned into legitimate buyers to legit or legitimate sellers to legitimate buyers. Uh, and I think that we could, that, that that's also been an incredibly difficult part of this deadline. I'm sure is that there are so many other players that usually aren't there in a normal year. You're dealing with a couple of other teams that you know are going to be vying for the same players. You are, if you're in the front office this time around that landscape is so much larger and there are so many other teams that are going for those same players so your offers are going to have to be that much better and if you're Michael Elias and co you're kind of happy just holding on to what you've got because you have the number one overall farm system in baseball and have since 2021 so I honestly don't blame Michael Elias for not making a huge move as yet maybe he will maybe he won't who knows but if they don't I don't see what's so wrong in holding on to what you have because it is so talented. Right. And the Orioles, even though there are some top prospects in the system that the Orioles may not want to part with, there is still a possibility to improve as there is a report right now. We are not able to confirm it at this point, so we won't get too far into the details there that the Orioles may have added some starting pitching talent So, Matt, let's talk about some of the starting pitchers that are still available up to this point. There are some reports as of right now about the Orioles. We don't know the details or the specifics. Nothing has been confirmed yet. But there are still big names available on the starting pitching market right now that the Orioles could be going after as we are about 10 minutes outside of our 6 o'clock deadline. The first one that we have heard a lot of rumors about is Dylan Cease would require probably a huge package from the Orioles to get. But Dylan Cease, certainly still a possibility for Baltimore if they wanted to give up a pretty big prospect haul to get him. 
Yeah, like you said, the issue with a potential trade for Dylan Cease is you'd probably have to give up some of the more hefty prospects that the, the, the Orioles hold. And I don't think uh, the front office or fans alike would really want to do that because why give up really, really good players for potentially one season of a guy or a couple seasons of a guy. Uh, Cease an incredibly talented player, but who knows if he'll stick around after a couple seasons. Uh, and you'd probably have to give up a huge haul for him. So while he is a great pitcher and I'm sure he'd help the Orioles, I'm not sure uh, that it's worth what he might take to get, which is I'm, I'm sure why a lot of teams, including the Orioles, have kind of hit a speed bump there. Right. And so let's talk about an, another name that has been tossed around a good bit at this deadline. And that's Jack Flaherty, who is a very interesting case. Still on the younger side, he's kind of a younger veteran here. He's in just his age 27 season. We have seen some incredible flashes from Flaherty in his career. He was, at 23 years old, a top five Cy Young candidate in the National League. Came in fourth place in Cy Young voting in 2019 as a 23-year-old. Had a 275 ERA that season. Then he comes back in the shortened 2020, and the ERA balloons up to 491. 2021 was a solid season, but 2022 and 2023, not as good for Jack Flaherty. So a lot of question marks with him, but the talent is certainly there. And if he's able to go to an organization that has a track record of developing pitchers well, of figuring things out, I think there's a lot of stuff to like with Jack Flaherty but I think the question becomes, Matt, is he going to be able to tap into the same potential that he had back in 2019? How is a team going to be able to get the most out of Flaherty and all of his potential? The thing about Flaherty, like you mentioned, is that we've seen how good he can be. We've seen uh, what potentially his ceiling is. He's an incredibly talented pitcher who has had some ups and downs in his career as of late, but also has dealt with a ton of injury as well. So this is a guy who... Uh, as of late, you haven't seen the full potential of what he can do. So, I mean, Flaherty would be would be certainly a good option, a guy that we know has tons of talent. And if the Orioles got a hold of him, perhaps they could mold him back into that player that they know he can be, a guy uh, who is just 27 years old, approaching probably, you know, in his athletic prime. He could br definitely bring it back to where he once was and would be a huge addition for this rotation. Yeah, Jack Flaherty would be a rental. He is under contract for the remainder of this season, is set to hit free agency in 2024. The ERA and kind of the numbers on the surface for Flaherty aren't as appealing. It's a 443 ERA through 20 games, a whip over 1,500. But I think with Flaherty, you are looking more at what you can get out of him rather than what he is in St. Louis right now. We could talk about the Cardinals for a while. I mean, that would pretty much be a whole separate podcast on really what has happened in St. Louis this season, but not really an environment that is conducive to a starting pitcher having a lot of success right now, if you're Jack Flaherty. But if you look at his stat cast page, there are some numbers that are pretty encouraging he is in the 77th percentile in average exit velocity, hard hit percentage over the 70, 70th percentile, the barrel percentage at the 76th percentile. And, it, you know, the extension numbers are pretty good. I think the underlying numbers would tell you that Jack Flaherty is a better option than his numbers right now would indicate. 
Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. I think that the numbers right now are not indicative of what kind of player you'd be getting if you were to trade for him. Uh, he's an incredibly talented guy, and we saw that when back when he had a 2.75 ERA earlier in his career and was close to the top of Cy Young voting. Uh, we know what he could do, but it's all about what he would do. So um, if the Orioles think that once they get him, if they get him, they can mold him back into the player that he once was. He's absolutely worth it. And like you said, a rental for this season, if they, can, if they think they can get out of him what his ceiling is, he would be hugely helpful uh, towards the end of September and, and October. Yeah, and if Flaherty is the choice here, I say choice as if you know the Orioles wouldn't be able to, to trade for these guys here. But if, if Flaherty is the option that you would opt for over somebody like Dylan Cease, like Eduardo Rodriguez, you would have to assume that the return would probably be less so for Jack Flaherty. He's a rental, unlike Dylan Cease, who is under team control until 2026. And he is not the type of pitcher, at least this season, that Eduardo Rodriguez has been. So Jack Flaherty, I think, still a ton of upside, but doesn't necessarily have the same price tag attached to him as somebody like Eduardo Rodriguez or Dylan Cease would if the Orioles tried to acquire one of those two guys. And that's certainly a lot of the appeal with Flaherty, that you wouldn't have to give up a huge haul like you would for a Dylan Cease. Um, I don't think, I, I have total faith that Mike Elias wouldn't make a deal that would decimate his farm system. I, mean, I just don't think he'd do that. It took so right. long to cultivate, so many draft picks that you had to get right. I just don't see him making a deal where he's losing a lot of that. Uh, so I would have faith as an Orioles fan to know that if they make this trade, Mike Elias is going to do it right um, because he's, he's earned that, res that respect. Well, we will see what the move is as we are about two minutes away from the 6 o'clock trade deadline. Nothing confirmed on the Orioles front here yet, but it seems like a starting pitcher could be on the way to Baltimore I want to talk a little bit, Matt, too, about kind of the keeping up with the Joneses here in the American League because the Yankees reportedly have just traded for Kenyon Middleton, the reliever from the Chicago White Sox, which only adds to my list here of teams around the American League that have continued to add at the top of the standings. The Orioles sit with the best record in the AL right now. They have already traded for Shintaro Fujinami. Below them... You have the Tampa Bay Rays, who trade for Aaron Savali and bullpen help. Savali has been fantastic this year. ERA right around 250. Doesn't have a massive track record, but is having a really, really good season in 2023. We know the Rays have had some injuries in the starting rotation, but Savali is going to be a big help there. Below the Rays, you have the Rangers, who, you know, just kind of ho-hum traded for Max Scherzer and Jordan Montgomery. So we know that there have been some injuries in the Rangers rotation as well. Obviously, Jacob DeGrom, Nathan Evaldi. But they add Max Scherzer and Jordan Montgomery to pretty much just replace those two guys. Probably won't miss much of a beat because you have Scherzer and Montgomery now coming in, two of the better pitchers in baseball. Below the Rangers, you have the Astros, who brought Justin Verlander back. The Blue Jays, not any huge deals, but you still bring in Jordan Hicks from the Cardinals, who is a fireball reliever that'll certainly help up, help sure up that bullpen. And then Paul DeYoung, the shortstop. We know Bo Bichette just went down with injury, so DeYoung able to sure up that shortstop spot a little bit. 
And then we talked about the Angels, who bring in Lucas Giolito, Reynaldo Lopez, CJ Crone, and Randall Grichuk. So I think if you're Mike Elias in the Orioles, you have to be looking at the rest of the American League standings and going, okay, everybody else below us is bolstering their team somehow, whether it's bigger moves like we have seen from the Rangers and from the Astros, or even smaller moves like the Blue Jays, bringing in Jordan Hicks and Paul DeYoung, still filling holes here and there where they need it. Had to be some pressure here for Mike Elias and the Orioles at this deadline to make sure that they didn't walk away empty-handed, to make sure that they still went, all right, we are still keeping up with the rest of the teams at the top of the American League standings that are going out and saying, hey, we believe we can win this thing. There was some pressure there, I think, for Baltimore to be able to do the same thing, to say, you know what, we're going to go get somebody. We're going to shore up the holes that we have on this team right now. There had to be some pressure there if you're Michael Elias. Yeah, I mean, it's a gamble, right? They have to gamble on whether or not they like the team they have and they believe the team they have can go and get them a World Series. Um, like I said, this is a really, really good farm system, perhaps a generational one. You don't really want to give anything away for a potential return that might not be 100%. Um, so they're going to gamble on what they have potentially if they don't make a move here. Uh, and we've heard from the starting rotation. Kyle Gibson said if they don't make a big move, he doesn't think it's a huge deal, especially in that rotation. They think they have a lot of a lot of strength. Uh, so, and I think that the front office does as well. They hit harder, you know, in, in a positive way with the starting rotation this season that I think a lot of people thought they would. There's a lot of good talent there uh, that could certainly move them into the playoffs like they've been doing, uh, that, that they've had success all season long. So uh, this is a rotation that if they believe can get them there, I believe them. Yeah, let's talk a minute about the Orioles starting rotation because there was just a pretty big shakeup in the O's starting rotation as Tyler Wells was sent back down to double-A buoy with the Bay Sox. Tyler Wells, over his last few starts, maybe seemed like there was a little bit of fatigue, wasn't able to work deeper into those starts. This is way more innings than Tyler Wells has been accustomed to pitching so he goes down to double a seems like the feeling is we're going to give him you know a bit of a rest there get things back in order he's going to get some work in at the Orioles pitching lab figure things out there Tyler Wells will be back at some point this season I am sure he is going to be whether it's in the starting rotation or the bullpen a helpful piece for this Orioles team down the line but it did seem like even before that move that the starting rotation was the logical place for the Orioles to bring in somebody to help. Because outside of Kyle Bradish, while you had great flashes from guys like Dean Kramer and Grayson Rodriguez, Kyle Bradish, now with Tyler Wells down in AA, is your only pitcher on this starting rotation at this point with an ERA below 450. And that's not to say that you haven't gotten good starts from Kyle Gibson, from Dean Kramer, from Grayson Rodriguez. Kramer and Rodriguez, specifically, still really young, still a lot of room to grow. I think the Orioles and fans should be excited from what we can see from those guys down the line. But even before this Tyler Wells move, it seemed like the starting rotation would be the logical place to go if you needed some help there. And with Tyler Wells back in Bowie, there was now the question mark of who was going to be that fifth starter? Was it going to be Cole Irvin coming in from the bullpen? Were you going to maybe call up somebody from AAA Norfolk? I don't think Chase McDermott or Cade Povich at this point 
would have been ready for that promotion. They just got to AAA Norfolk pretty recently. Drew Rahm, I don't know if you want him to be your fifth rotation option at this point. So it seems as though the Orioles were able to look at the starting pitching spot and say, okay, that's probably the place that we would need the most help at this deadline. It's going to be interesting to see how the rotation squares out from here on out. Absolutely. Uh, And we'll find out whether or not Michael Elias and co. think they have the rotation that's going to go get them a World Series this season. Maybe they add somebody, maybe they don't. Uh, But if they don't, all it means is that they're absolutely confident that they have what they need. Uh, and they have tons of talent. You've gotten some really, really good starts from Dean Kramer this year. He's shown a ton of upside. Kyle Gibson has been really strong at times as well. And you have incredible talent in Grayson Rodriguez, who hasn't even shown you the height of what he can be yet. Uh, and you mentioned Tyler Wells. He absolutely will be back, and he has been superb for the team this year as well. So there's still a ton of talent. People clamoring for pitching. There's still tons of talent in this O starting rotation. Yeah, and and let's talk about the farm system as well. I think it's important to note here that even if the Orioles are trading away from their farm system, it is the best farm system in baseball. And if the Orioles looked at this deadline and said, you know what, we're not going to go after one of the big fish here, Jeff Passon reporting that Dylan Cease was not traded, by this 6 o'clock deadline as we are now past that at 6.05. Maybe the Orioles just looked at Dylan Cease and said, you know what, we don't want to give up a top 100 prospect for somebody at this deadline. We don't want to completely overpay for somebody like Dylan Cease. Maybe they just viewed whatever the White Sox were asking for at this deadline as an overpay for Dylan Cease. But it's important to note here that even if the Orioles do trade away From this absolutely loaded farm system, it is still going to be just that. It is still going to be absolutely loaded because we have seen Mike Elias and company time and time again draft players even outside of the first round that develop into top 100 prospects. Guys like Gunnar Henderson, who became the number one prospect in baseball. Joey Ortiz was a fourth-round pick. Connor Norby was a second-round pick. Kobe Mayo was an overslot pick in the, I believe, fourth or fifth round back in 2020. They can draft guys in pretty much whatever round, it seems like, that can become top prospects in their system and top 100 prospects in baseball. We have seen an increase in the Orioles' activity in the international market. Guys like Cesar Prieto have turned out to be fantastic prospects with fantastic hitting numbers in AAA Norfolk at this point. It kind of seems like anybody that the Orioles acquire in the draft, somebody that they can just get in this talent pipeline to develop, develops into a good prospect. So even if Michael Elias and company are looking at this trade deadline and saying, you know what, we're going to need to deal away some quality prospects to get some talent here, I'm very confident that the Orioles next year, guess what? They're still going to draft somebody that they're going to develop into a good prospect. They're still going to sign somebody that's going to start lower down in the system that they can develop into a good player down the line. I have so much faith and confidence in this player development system that I was almost looking at this deadline and saying, you know what? Almost no matter who the Orioles trade outside of guys like, you know, Jackson Holiday, obviously, they weren't going to move the number one prospect in baseball. I was kind of looking at this deadline and saying, you know what, no matter who the Orioles move, if they do end up moving a prospect, I'm pretty confident that 
this farm system is going to be just fine. And they will continue to develop, guys. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, we've we've seen what Mike Elias and company can do, uh, and it's going to continue. I mean, we the, the pitching development that this organization possesses is probably second to none. I mean, they are incredible at what they do in terms of turning arms into MLB players. So I think at this deadline, you probably just celebrate not losing any of your top prospects if that ends up being the case. Yeah. Um, so I think you should be happy, O's fans, about uh, what the O's still possess going forward. Yeah. Well, an exciting deadline around baseball here as the Orioles try to bolster their roster to make a playoff push, trying to keep up with the rest of the teams around the American League that have added in big ways and the Orioles trying to, to keep up with those teams as they make a playoff push. That'll just about do it here for our live edition of The Bird's Nest. Make sure you tune in with us next week as we continue to break down the Orioles' moves and everything covering Baltimore moving forward. For Matt Bonaparte, I'm Brendan Mortensen. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we will catch you next time.